You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning, Southridge. Great to see you. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Amen. So good to see you. Glad that you're able to make it here. So many new faces, familiar faces. Glad to be with you. Thank you so much for being here. I want to give a big shout out to all those who helped out last weekend. Last weekend, we gave out over 400 backpacks. We, uh, yeah, let's celebrate that. That's exciting. Had 344 people in church, so that was exciting. A great day, lots of people in church, and 54 volunteers. So, can you just give yourself a pat on the back? I just want to thank you. Thank you for leading people to find and follow Jesus. But the most important thing was 11 people made a decision to give their life to Jesus. That's the best part. I just want to say, it's all, it was bigger than a backpack. It's not just a backpack. It's more than that. We use a backpack, and I'm glad all the kids got a backpack, and I know many, many people were able to be helped by that, but our whole reason behind everything that we do is so that we can tell people about Christ's love and how He can change them. And so we're so thankful for each and every one of you, because uh, without you, it couldn't have been possible. Well, before we dive into the message, I just want to say... uh, Really, I want to turn into just a a moment where I just want to kind of encourage our church that our differences don't divide us. Our differences don't divide us. You say, what do you mean? God called his bride, the church, the ecclesia, to be unified, to be united together. And the only reason you would separate from the ecclesia is over theological or doctrinal differences. Somebody says, oh, I don't believe in blood atonement. We don't believe in, or if you said, that that would be a reason. Oh, I don't believe in eternal security. There would be doctrinal things we separate over. I'm watching as our nation separates. That's concerning. But what's more concerning is seeing the church and Christians separating over things that are not doctrinal or theological. And so I just want to say, church, we don't let our differences divide us. You say, what do you mean? Uh, 16 months ago, when our church made the decision to say, hey, we're going to open for in-person gathering, I had some dear friends say, oh, I'm going to stop going to church anymore over that. And it broke my heart as a pastor. Not just because, oh, I, I hate to see them leave church. Some of them have yet stopped going to church altogether. And I thought, you know who wins over that? The devil wins. So we don't let our differences divide us. It's not a doctrinal thing. And we, we don't divide over political issues. We don't divide over uh, social issues, and we don't divide over medical issues. We don't need to divide over these things. And then once again, we saw as uh, I've had people leave our church because I would wear a mask or I wouldn't wear a mask. So first of all, we met in person. We didn't meet. People divided. Second of all, mask, no mask. People divided. And now, church, I want to say for the third one, I want us to be in prayer over this. The third one is coming. I believe God has given us discernment to see that, hey, the, the vax, are you vax or non-vax? And it's none of my business. That's between you and the doctor. 
All right, it's none of my business. I'm a pastor. I'm called to be a shepherd. Now, I'm neither anti or pro. You say, oh, middle of the road. Yeah, that's, that's the worst thing. No, no, no. I'm called to shepherd people spiritually. But what I'm seeing is we're letting differences divide us. And so I want us to say we divide over doctrinal and theological issues. That's what we divide over. I met with one of our trustees this past week, and I asked him because he and I, we don't always see things exactly right. And I said, that's the blessing. We have Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, and we have people that just are disenfranchised with all of it in our church, and I love it that way. I love the fact that we have people from all ethnic backgrounds in our church. I love the fact that we have people from all social, political, all different spectrums because we want to reflect heaven. So we don't divide over these things. So if you ever want me to wear this around you, I will wear this around you. I have no problem. I have no problem. Uh, I went and saw my doctor along with my wife a couple of weeks ago, and we're, 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 we're careful around those things. But I just want to say as a church, let that be our stance, that we love one another, and that we're not going to let anything divide us from that. Because that the only person who wins is Satan, and Satan knows right now that a strong, unified church terrifies him. That's why he's attacking it. And we've got bigger things to pray together. And we need everybody praying about what's happening in Afghanistan. That should rip our hearts out more than anything else right now. That there are reports that if somebody has the Bible app on their phone, that they're executing them. That's reported. Okay? It's There's a pastor that I've heard reports from, from our association. He's a pastor over there. They took his 14-year-old daughter. He does not know where his 14-year-old daughter is. This is happening, folks, and yet you and I, we, we, can, we can sit back and we can get upset about smaller issues. And I want to say as a church, it's time for us to be united and say, you know what? Satan, if he's going to raise his ugly head, then we bow our knees in prayer and we fight on our knees, all right? The bow belongs to the Lord, just like what we sang about, all right? So I just want to let you know that as a church, I love everybody in here. And if you want me to give you a fist pump six feet away, you want me to give you a hug, I'm there because that's what I'm called. I'm called to that, all right? And that's where we're going to take that stand. All right. You got to a copy of God's Word. Go to Revelation chapter number 3. Notice the word, verse number 14. Great passage of scriptures. We're ending this series. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Strong language. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eyesap, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this passage of Scripture would speak to every heart. I think this word, these nine verses we just read, have more power and more potential in them than anything I could say in the next 30 minutes. 
But Father, I'm asking you to bless the words. I'm asking you to help our church. Father, these are tumultuous times in the global scene. But Father, I believe that these are great times to evangelize and to win people for Christ. So Father, I pray that you would go before us. I pray that you would use this message. May we be a stronger, more united church. And I pray that you bless it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen for you. And uh, this is a picture of my son, Austin, on his first day of kindergarten. Isn't he cute? Man, what happened to that kid? All right? Like, every morning, it's just a battle, you know? Uh, I kid you not, the first thing when he wakes up, we make him go jump on the trampoline. He's got all that energy. And if he doesn't do something destructive with that energy, he does something destructive with that energy. But this is his first year at kindergarten. This is his picture. And uh, it was great. He, had, he, he, he loved his teacher, still his favorite teacher. But Jane and I got a call from his school one day in this first year of, of kindergarten. And they said, uh, Austin had an accident. He threw up. And we were like, oh, that's terrible. You know what happens at school? Kids throw up, they get sick. So we went to the school, and then we talked to his teacher, and then we found out what really happened. Classrooms are set up in a row, right? And they had a large class. They had split the class, so it was filled. So he was at the end of the row. Well, the person at the other end of the row was the one who was actually sick. And they threw up, and the buddy next to that person saw it, smelled it. They threw up. <laughs> The third person, I kid you not, he saw that first person, the second person, then he got it. He throws up because he smelled it, and Austin's at the end of this row of six kids, and he's already crying because he knows his dominoes is just coming, and he just knew he wouldn't be able to fight it. And so he wasn't sick. It was the fact that it just dominoes, man. He just threw up, and uh, nobody likes seeing anybody thrown up or anything. So when I read this passage... I think that's got to be strong language for God to have a visceral experience where God says, because you're neither hot nor cold, I want to vomit you. Like, what do you have to do to make God sick? Like, what really had to go on? Because this is a strong, and I, I, I don't think we're getting at quite what, what the word is, so I need a volunteer real quick. I want to I wanna demonstrate what spew and vomit is. Megan, come on up here. All right. Because of COVID, you're the only one that I can use for this illustration. Trust me, you're going to need this. All right? Put this on and uh, cover up real good. All right. Just get it. It's getting ready, you know, and uh, I want to demonstrate what spew and vomit, you know what, wear some Southridge sunglasses too, okay? You know, we want to kind of be cautious. <laughs> hey, be lucky I didn't ask for a volunteer. It's a good thing the COVID's going on. Otherwise, I'd be asking for a volunteer, okay? So God says, because you're neither hot nor cold, I want to spew you out of my mouth. I want to vomit you, okay? It's this violent reaction to it, okay? So, here we go.
Because you are neither hot nor cold, I want to vomit you. Now, some people wrongly assume that God means I would rather you be all out for me or all out for the devil. Like, just pick a side. That's not what he's saying. You see, in that day and age, in this city of Laodicea, they were a wealthy city who had all kinds of great amenities, but there was two things that they lacked. They had a water problem, and they couldn't get water. But five miles away was one city, seven miles away was another city. One city five miles away was known for their hot springs, their sulfur. So what they literally did is they created plumbing that would get this hot water that would come from miles away, and they piped it into their city. The other city was known for their cool, refreshing spring ice water because it was from a mountain and the snow water was nice and cold. And they also built a pipe. They literally built a pipe. They still have it today. You can go over to this area and you can see it's ingenious what they built. And they, they piped in this hot water and cold water. The only problem was by the time the hot water got to this city, it was no longer hot. It was lukewarm. And by the time this cold water got to Laodicea, it was no longer icy cold. It was lukewarm. And nobody wants that lukewarm water taste. I grew up in Fresno, and uh, it was a common thing. We would just walk. My parents would never drive us anywhere. It would be honestly 104, 105 degrees. Just walk. And it was not a thing. As you're walking, just walk up into somebody's yard, grab their hose, turn it on, and get a drink. Like, it wasn't even a thing. Nowadays, you might arrest that person, you know, just for getting a drink out of the hose, you know? And uh, that was the original hydro flask was, uh, you got a hose, there we go. That, that's the original hydro flask right there. I don't need no water bottle. All my kids are asking for hydro flask. I was thinking, what do you mean you got a $30 water bottle? You don't need that. But uh, the only thing is, remember when you get that garden hose? You know what that first drink would taste like? If it's in the sun, you get hit with that hot water or warm water, like, ah, gross. God said... What he's trying to illustrate to this church is this church is good for nothing. It's not, he, his thought is, man, I wish you were just good for something. You're not good for hot medicinal purposes or relaxing purposes. You're not good for this cool, refreshing purpose. You're just right in the middle. And if there's anything that can relate to the modern church more, because there are scholars that believe we are living in what's called the Laodicean age. It's the age of affluence and apathy. Think about that for a second. Isn't that sum up the American condition? That we have affluence and we're apathetic to it. And so here, God is talking to this church and saying, hey, I want to spew you out of my mouth. And he's saying, I want to vomit because here's this Christian church that's not acting Christ-like. He's saying, that's why I don't want you. Is you say something, but you don't live like what you're saying. So God says, I wish, and isn't that another funny illustration? That God who created the world says, I wish for something? What's the thing he wishes for? The one thing he said, hey, I've given you sovereign will. God can't force you in his sovereignty. He gave you free will, but he says, I wish you would do right. Wow. The one thing, God can have anything, but the one thing he wants is for you and I to live a life that honors and glorifies him. And he says, that's the one thing I wish for. I think sometimes we miss these things as we read through these passages so quickly. And God is wishing that you and I would live for Him. You see, we all have these blind spots that block our spiritual growth. And I say it like this as we read verses 15 through 18. He says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you don't know 
that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He's saying you don't even know it. What God is saying here, he's saying what is obvious to me is oblivious to you. Every husband in this room understands this. Because we're oblivious to things that to our wife is obvious. Like just obvious that there's the laundry hamper and our socks go next to it if you're due. You know, and the wife is just like, you put it so close. You know, you're almost there. You know, you can almost do it. Here's one thing I've learned. I've learned, I've learned that my faults, personally, who I am as a human being, are obvious to everybody around me, but I'm oblivious to them. Did you know that? I'm aware that my faults, I don't see them. It's just like when you're driving in your car and you do a lane change and somebody honks behind you. You didn't see them. Why? Because you're rude? No. They were in your blind spot. You see, God is saying what is obvious to him is oblivious to this church. And what a sad indictment that this church was living oblivious to all these things that God wanted them to do. They thought they had it all. And my friend, I believe God is speaking to us and saying, you are living oblivious to all that God wants you to know. All that God wants you to see. All that God wants you to know. I had a Bible college president, he would often say this statement. He would say, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. You drove a car, most of you, to get to church this morning. If that car had the little check engine light, you would be a fool to just let that light just remain on. You would need to go get that check. But some of us are just oblivious to these things going on in our lives. And we need the Holy Spirit to shine a light and say, hey, don't be oblivious to what is obvious. This is obvious. And sadly, I believe we as the church are now living in a fool's paradise. We, we, we've got all these things and we feel like, oh man, we're doing so great. And God's saying, no, you're not. Here's this church. They thought they were doing great. But notice what he says to him in verse 18. Anoint your eyes with eye sap that you may see. What a sad indictment that the church could see but had no vision. Some of you can see, but you have no vision. You don't see what God wants you to see. You don't see the hurting co-worker next to you. You don't see how your spouse, day in and day out, is dying on the vine because you disrespect them. You don't love them. You don't take care of them. You don't, you don't see things. And we need to once again say, God, give me spiritual vision that I can see the loss and the hurting. God, let me to see the needs in my city. I know life is busy, and I know we get caught up in things, and I know there's the to-do list, but we need to say, Lord, I don't want to just have eyesight. I want to have something deeper. I want to have vision to see what you want and so we need to pray God open my eyes God let me to see what you want it's a terrible terrible thing to be able to see but lose your vision today people don't see something is wrong anymore that's that that's what one thing that I've learned so much lately a lie is a lie and own up to the lie your integrity is your integrity protect your integrity but yet we've got Christians now that, it's just a white lie. It doesn't matter for my integrity. Silly thing. My fan broke. All it needed was a few screws. All right? The fan was working, but it just needed some screws. I had some work done, and they just lost a few of the screws. And they said, we'll replace the fan. And I said, why buy a $100 fan if I just need some screws? You can judge me. I didn't. I kind of. I went to Lowe's. I bought an exact replica. <laughs> I brought it home, sat on the kitchen table. The wife, aka the second Holy Spirit, walks in. What is she doing? 
Opened it up, found the screws and I said, I need these screws. She said, you did not. I said, I did. She was like, and you're going to preach tomorrow? I said, oh, they're going back. <laughs> I didn't do it. The conviction of your life. I was tempted to do wrong. I almost went through with it. But thank you, hope I have a wife who caught me. She said, don't do it like that. That's your integrity. Doesn't that mean something? I said, yeah, I guess so. I would like to have cool air circulating more, but okay, integrity. But isn't that amazing that we as Christians, we just, we don't even think about it. We don't think about these little things. We need somebody to say, hey, hey, wake up. That's not how you're supposed to live. And this church didn't even see it anymore. They didn't see sin anymore. They didn't see character compromises anymore. They were just oblivious to it. And God says, hey, you guys think you're seeing, but you have no vision. And we need to ask God, God, help me to see things in my life. Help me to see how am I treating people. I want to be kinder, more, more loving to people. I want to be a, a better dad. This is why next week we're going to kick off a, a parenting series. Because I want to be a better father. I don't just want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father to my kids. And so we want to learn about these things. See, this church they could see, but they had no vision. God opened my eyes. Give me sight to see. The church couldn't see the needs around them. But notice, secondly, verse 20. He said, if anyone hears my voice... And opens the door. So first we have sight. And this is if anyone hears. Not only did they lose their vision. But they lost the familiarity with the sound of his voice. In 2000. Through 2000 to 2003. I worked at a camp called the Bill Rice Ranch. The slogan for the camp was where the deaf hear. I got to be careful how I enunciate. Not dead. Deaf hear. Because it was camp where people who were hearing impaired could go. I learned sign language there. And it was at that camp you would have people who could not hear would attend camp for free. The camp was one of the oldest camps. Matter of fact, the founder helped write the book on ASL. Because their daughter in the early 1940s was born deaf. And they didn't know how to communicate. And nobody at the time really had a language for them. So they started a Christian camp. And when I worked there, they would have teens by the thousands every week come through this Christian camp. I worked there as one of the cowboys, one of the wranglers. And so you would work with these uh, uh, deaf children all the way through the adults. And they would come through. And it was an amazing thing. You'd think deaf people, since they can't speak, would be very quiet. They're louder because they don't know how much noise they actually make. It's an amazing thing. And so when they clap, they go like this. This is how they clap in the service. And because they, everything's with their hands. And it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But one of the gentlemen, he would come every year that I was there. He was an older gentleman. He was not only deaf, but he was also blind. And I think, what a sad state. Not only you can't see, but you also can't hear. How do you communicate with this person? So what you would do is you would sign into the palm of his hand. And then what he would do is he would feel your hands. Because that's how he knew who you were. And if he couldn't, couldn't get who you were, he would touch your face. And then he would say, I, I know you. He'd feel your face. And he would say, I know you. Because I feel your face. You know one of the things that God constantly throughout the Psalms told David to do? Seek my face. He said, seek my face. Psalms 27, 8, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Because that's how you know him. 
Many of us have lost the sound of the familiarity of his voice. People will come up to me all the time, I don't hear from God anymore. I said, because you've lost the sight of his face. There was an old hymn that we used to sing. It was, look full in his wonderful face. Look at God. Look to him and say, God, I need to see you, God, because I don't see and I don't hear anymore. I need help. And in our darkness, we reach out and we start to reach for God. But sadly, our darkness divides us from God and pushes us farther away. And God is saying in this passage, you are oblivious to what should be obvious. And so we need to come back to God. And God will speak to you. It's not that he stopped speaking, my friend. God has never stopped speaking to you. It's that the familiarity to his voice is what you and I have forgotten. And we need to once again say, Lord, fix my hearing. Fix my vision. I want to hear what you want to say to me. Right now, I believe you should pray that prayer in your own heart. God, you are speaking things to me through your word, through this message. God, open my ears right now. Because some of us, even throughout the week, we don't hear from God. I went to Lowe's. I bought the fan. I was not hearing from God. And all of a sudden, God says, I will speak loud and clear, unmistakable. And may we have ears to hear. You see, they were fooling themselves. You say, how did they fool themselves? Notice verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I see how they became blinded, was they were blinded by all their blessings. This is a blessed church. This is a, a blessed church. You say, how were they blessed? The city of Laodicea completely was demolished by an earthquake. The government of Rome came to them and said, we're going to help you, and we're going to rebuild your city. They said, no. We don't want Rome's help. We will do this on our own. And they rebuilt their entire city on their own dime. They rebuilt the city. You see, this church is what I would call a self-sufficient church. So they didn't need God. They were also a self-satisfied church. They didn't want God. They had a closet full of clothes and no Christ. And I believe that's pointing a light on where the church could be today. That we walk around acting like, yes, I'm a Christian, but if we were to really look into our hearts, we've been blinded by all our blessings. And I know maybe, maybe you say this year has been a year of blessing. Maybe this year has been hard. As I watch what's happening in Afghanistan, I step back and I start counting all my blessings. All my blessings. That I live here. You say, well, you can't go to this restaurant. You can't do this. It's nothing compared to what they're going through. Yeah. Right. That even to leave your house, you are taking your life in your hands. This is incredible what is happening, not just in Afghanistan, but around the world. And we as God's people, we need to say, Lord, I've been blinded by all my blessings. And we become materialistic. We bought into the American dream that it's all about me. And that if I'm not successful and I'm not thriving, then God must not like, like me and must not be treating me very well. Instead of saying, Lord, open my eyes to all my blessings. See, Jesus is making a point to the church at Laodicea. They were famous not only for uh, their eye medicine, their, their water system was famous, but also it was famous because they would have this black wool, which only came from Laodicea. And so you could get this wool, but you could only get it there. It was very expensive. It was very costly. Jesus is sticking his finger right on where it hurts. And he's saying, yeah, I see you guys in your black wool cloak. And you think you're wealthy. You think you got it all together. And Jesus says, you're blinded by your blessing. You're the emperor with no clothes. You're naked. And that's what he's saying. 
Could it be that we feel so self-righteous? Oh, I've got it all together. My job's going well. I'm good with my parenting. I'm good with my marriage. I'm good at all. And we get all puffed up and then we're blinded by our blessing. We don't know what is actually happening around us. God forbid that you and I become blinded by our own blessings. You see, the church was filled with this affluence and apathy. And sometimes we don't actually see what is really there. But may I make this statement? That there can be no growth in your life to a person who is deceiving themselves. You will never grow if you're deceiving yourself. If you're deceiving yourself that you are a good mom, and I'm not saying you need to put yourself down as a mom, you have a hard enough job, but if you're saying I have no room to grow, then there's no growth. If you are the type of person that says I am a perfect husband, there is no growth potential. It is the person that says, hey, I've overcome some things, but I still have some work to do. That's the person that has growth potential. And if you are not in the pine box is six feet under, you have growth potential. God wants you to grow. God wants you to grow spiritually. He wants you to grow physically. He wants you to grow in influence. He wants to grow you in relationships, in character. God wants you to grow. That's why you're created. We are created to grow. Healthy things grow. Grow. God wants our church to grow. He wants you to grow. But there could be no growth to a person who's deceiving themselves. And the worst kind of deception is self-deception. The first year we started the church, I preached a sermon series entitled, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. And it's about the life of Samson. Because Samson was self-deceived. Everything in his life that he touched, he messed it up. Because why? He would deceive. The one person he deceived and lied to the most was himself. He lied to his parents. He lied to his uh, uh, the person he was engaged to. He lied to everybody. But everybody doesn't understand. The biggest person he lied to was himself. Self-deception is the worst deception, said Plato. But yet we deceive ourselves all the time, don't we? We're actually tricking ourselves. Help me out. What is a person? What do we call that when somebody tricks themselves? They live in deception. There's another word. It rhymes with Nile. Denial. 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 Can I say it like this? We need to deal with our denial. We just need to deal with it. Can we just say, I've been in denial to some things, and we just need to deal with it? Because if you and I are constantly living in denial, we don't understand that denial is going to lead to our death. You say, no. Yes, it can. When you, you say, why? Because the Bible says this, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. If you're in denial about sin in your life, in my life, then honestly it leads to this. And yet that's the thing that God is spotlighting on this church. They were living in denial. Where are you and I living in denial? That something somebody's told us, a spouse has told us, a friend has told us, or you're the type of person you know people will tell you, so you isolate yourself. You hide. You don't let anybody around you that asks you questions. Mark it down. If you can't question them, they're doing questionable things. If you can't question them about what's on their phone and who they're talking to and what they've been viewing on their laptop, and if you can't question them about their bank account and where that money goes, they are doing questionable things. If you can't ask a question of a government official and they don't give you a straight answer, they're doing questionable things. All right? Let's put it all out there. If you can't ask me a straight answer about finances, character, morals, then guess what? I'm doing questionable things. But what happens is we start to make sure nobody around us will ever ask us the hard questions. And that denial leads to our death. Maybe not always physically, but it could lead to the death of a career, the death of a relationship, the death of influence, the death of a position. 
There will be death. Jesus said when they taste that fruit that something would die and something did die. Their spiritual connection with God severed, gone, dead. You and I, we cannot play with sin. It is no joke. I wish I could share with you just all the details how this became real to my family and I. How when you live in denial, how sinister and deadly it can be. I'll share with you one day, but not today. Because this thing, we as a church, sometimes as Christians, we just kind of live in this denial. I've got to wrap things up. In northern Alaska, where the Eskimos will go hunting, there's an overpopulation of wolves. So to deal with the overpopulation, they'll take a blade of a knife, they'll dip it in blood, and they'll let it freeze, and they'll put that in a trap. So what will happen is the wolf will come over and it will start to lick the blade because it's got the scent of blood and it likes that taste of that blood. Sure enough, the ice will melt off that sharp blade. And then they, what they don't realize is as they're licking the blade, they're cutting their own tongue and they're bleeding on the blade. Until they either pass out from loss of blood or until they die. I believe there are so many Christians playing with sin, playing with things, and we're just in denial. I can handle one more drink. I can handle that substance. I can handle that relationship. I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. And then we read about them, and we're like, you couldn't handle it. I know this. I can't handle it. All right? I know there's the old running joke, hold my beer. You know, it's like, hey, no, you can't. No, no, no. You hold your own. Don't do it. Don't try it. It's not going to work out. But yet we as Christians sometimes take risks we should not. And God is calling us back to not live in denial. And then he says in verse number 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and I chase, and therefore be zealous and repent. Jesus corrects who he cares about. Jesus is not going to let this behavior go. He's not going to let it go in your life. He's not going to let it go in my life. And so the Bible is telling us that Jesus, if he's correcting you right now, prodding you, bringing you back, it's because he cares. A parent that does not discipline their children does not care about their child. You say, why? Because then there's one day that somebody else will have to discipline them out of county corrections office or at a prison that they'll have to correct them. You and I, we either discipline our children now because that's a, a huge thing I'm seeing. That where's the discipline going on? We as Christians are woefully lax. I'm not saying, hey, where, where's the cat of nine tails? Line up. Here we go. All right? That's not necessarily what I'm saying. And I'll talk about that in the, in the parenting series. But when it comes to basic discipline, and y'all know, I struggle with discipline. Okay? I wish the sun got up at noon, not at five in the morning. Okay? All right? I don't know. It took you a while. Some of you are still waiting to wake up. <laughs> But when it comes to discipline, I realize we all need discipline. Our children need discipline. They need that structure. And yet God disciplines his children, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. Amen. And because Jesus was not impressed by this church. Other people were impressed by it. They had a beautiful building, beautiful staff, great worship team, good looking pastor. They had it all. They had it all. Unfortunately, you guys have none of that. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe one day. But understand, outwardly, they had everything all together. And God says, hmm, I'm not impressed. And he's not being mean. God just says, I'm not impressed by those things. What impresses, what impresses God? A passion for prayer. That impresses God. 
People that have a passion for prayer. Not only people that have a passion for prayer, but people that have regular repentance in their life. That they are constantly coming to God and saying, yep, I, I sinned, I messed up, God, i got to get it right. i got to go to that person and confess it. I'm not going to let this thing sit. I'm not going to live in denial. What impresses God is a passion for prayer, regular witness, a willingness to witness, to share your faith. That, that impresses God. And those who love the least and the lost. You see, they're not, God's not impressed by this church. He even goes on to say it. You think you're so great. You're not. And then he also, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Think about this. This is not a Jehovah's Witness that he's standing out of. It's not a Mormon tabernacle he's standing outside of. It's not a Buddhist monastery he's standing outside of. It is not a, 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 a mineral temple or tower. He's standing outside the door of a church. And nobody's letting them in. Wow. He's saying, I'm standing here. This is a Christian church, right? The church of Laodicea? Yeah, it's a Christian. A famous painter painted this painting of Jesus standing at the door. And everybody criticized the painting because there was no handle on the door. It could only be opened from the inside. And that's exactly how your heart and my heart operates. See, Jesus is not impressed by us. And Jesus will not intrude. Jesus yeah. must be invited. Yeah. He must be. You know, every Sunday we pray that. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this presence, in this place. I do not presume to assume that God owes me anything by sending the Spirit. I do not presume. I say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Now, I know that God goes with me everywhere, but I want to see his power, I want to see his influence, and I want to see him come down in might. I want him to come down in a powerful way. I want him to change lives. I want the fire to fall in my heart and to ignite me into a living sacrifice. That's what we pray in Romans 12, 1. That I, I would be a living sacrifice and God wants to consume that sacrifice. So I pray, God, come down. That's what the old revivalists used to pray. That God, come down. Send your spirit down to us. May we commune and meet with you. And that's the invitation he has for those who will stop living in denial and deal with their denial. Jesus said to him who overcome, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Notice this, two connections. If you open to Jesus, you will overcome in your life. Some of you are struggling with habitual sins, and it's because Jesus is not in your life. If you open, you will overcome. There's the connection. If you will open your home to God, he will save that marriage. If you open your home to his, him, he will save your parenting. If you open your door to him, he will save your church. He will save your job. That's where the victory comes from, okay? When you open. But sadly, God is standing. Standing at the door of his church. Not lost people. Not people that don't know Jesus. He's standing at the door and he's saying, will you let me in? Can I say it like this? And I know it's going to sound harsh. But my faith is my fault. It's my fault. I can't blame any person where my faith is. You can't blame any person where your faith is. You say, well, there's that TV preacher and he has that jet. And man, because of him, I don't want to be in the church. Okay, we all don't have jets. Because I would sell mine and I'd build a building, all right? Just first we'd all get a ride in it, and then we'd sell it, all right? We'd all fly somewhere fun real quick, and then we'd sell it. But I, I hear people do that. Well, this one pastor did this, or this one Christian did this, or my mom did this, or my dad did this, and this out. No. 
My faith is my fault. It's your responsibility. I'm going to do everything I can to create an environment that you step into and you encounter God. And we pray and we fast and we ask God to move in a powerful way. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you can't step into a church like this and say, hmm, didn't do anything for me. I don't know. Because God's presence is here. But at the end of the day, you've got to open your heart. At the end of the day, you've got to be open so that you can overcome. And your faith is your fault. You see... As we wrap up, if we allow these blind spots, ultimately what they do is they block and limit our perception of what is possible. The reason we have so many cynics in the church today is because we're blinded. We're blinded by our own blind spots, and we don't see what is actually possible. You see, my needs drive me to my knees. And when it's I'm on my knees, I overcome from what I think is not possible. See, it's my knees that help me overcome the enemy. It's on my knees. Can we stand as we close? Every head bowed, every eye closed. God wants us to live an overcoming life. But to overcome, we must open. But some of you think you're open. And I'm glad you think you are. But I'm going to ask you to search your heart. And ask God, am I really open to you? God, am I really seeking you? Am I really close to you? Heavenly Father, we need you in this moment. God, we invite you into this place. We need you in a powerful way. We can't do it on our own. We need your strength. God, we want a church that is an open door to you. How sad would it be that you knock at the door of Southridge Church and you say, they don't want me there. Lord, we need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, the songwriter said, I need you. So God, I humble myself before you. Recognizing my need for your help and your strength. Father, would you please hear our cry and meet with us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give it time. Maybe Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. You say, yes, there's some areas where I need to deal with denial. Pastor, would you pray for me? Can I pray for you? Anybody like that? Oh, thank you for your honesty. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. For two years, my wife knows this, I went through some addictions of my own. You know, the first thing they said is you've got to admit you're an addict. You'll never overcome it if you don't admit it. You never will. And you and I can live in denial, or we can say, yeah, that's me. And then God says, yeah, that was you. Past tense. But you've opened up to me, and now we're going to overcome that together. And that's the promise that he gives. Father, you see these hands. You see these hearts. Lord, may they be open hearts to you. May you meet with them. I love that word that you want to come and dine with us, fellowship with us. It's that intimate gathering between close friends or close family where we can laugh and enjoy each other's fellowship and company. That's what you want with us. So, Father, we come into your presence. We say, Lord, we want that, but we have to be open to you. And so, Father, we open ourselves to you, God. Sadly, we've opened ourselves up to all kinds of other influences. But this morning, we say, God, we want you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting southridgesanjose.com slash connect. 
Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. 